0: Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Rothheis, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence and sometimes have some fun along the way. I am a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary, where I've been since 1993, the author of 19 books with several more on the way. Speaking of books, this program is going to be about 10 influential authors and some of their books. That is influential on me as a Christian philosopher, apologist, a moral philosopher, whatever else I am. So I made up this list a few years ago of how many here? 22 different authors who have had significant influence on my thinking and my writing, my teaching, my preaching, my witnessing Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So today I'd like to talk about A.W. Tozer, Blaise Pascal, Carl Henry, C.S. Lewis, Francis Schaefer, G.K. Chesterton, Harry Blamires, J.F. Packer, and J.P. Moreland. But before I make a few comments about these authors and several of their books, I want to emphasize the fact that reading is really in decline in the United States. It has been for decades. It's hard to even stomach keeping up with the reports on this. Uh, There are college graduates who do not read a book after they graduate. There are people who... Will tell you I don't read without blushing or without offering any kind of excuse for that. In a previous broadcast, I talked about the strike of the Hollywood writers and actors, and I said this was something to celebrate for one reason. We can find more time to read. Now, I think I should do a whole broadcast on the importance of reading and knowing the Bible and how to engage the Bible, but. Since I went to college 1975, I went to the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, very unprepared for college life. I had a pretty low GPA in high school. I think it was 2.3, something like that uh, was not valedictorian, we'll put it that way. But when I went to college, I realized that if I was going to be serious about this, I needed to read. I needed to read my textbooks. And then I started to develop intellectual curiosity, which has never ceased. The better way to put it, from a Christian viewpoint, is that I became studious. Because curiosity is really one of the seven deadly sins. We don't simply want to be interested in various things. We want to pursue learning knowledge about things that matter. And there are a whole lot of things we should know nothing about. So when I became studious, I began studying my textbooks more rigorously to do well in the examinations. And when I became a Christian in June of 1976, after a summer of kind of sputtering around intellectually, I began to see the significance of reading and studying as a Christian, that is, I needed to be intellectually serious, and I needed to love God with my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I developed a great love of learning, which I have never lost. And also, throughout my years of education and various types of ministry as a campus minister, was a campus minister for 12 years before coming to Denver Seminary, and my ministry as a professor, and speaker in various venues, and preacher, I have been given by the Lord a lot of time to study and write, and I don't take this for granted, because many people would like to read more, study more, be more learned, pursue intellectual goals, and they simply don't have the time because of their work, their family, and so on. Well, my work really has been, over these many years, the life of the mind, and in God's providence, I did not have any children. My first wife, Becky, and I did not have children. That was largely because of her ill health, and uh, she passed away five years ago, and uh, Kathleen and I are in our 60s, so we're not anticipating children, but the point is that God has given me a lot of opportunity to read and study. So, I have purchased many thousands of books, read I don't know how many. If you saw my library, you might ask the forbidden question, have you read all these? And my answer would be, I've read some of them twice. But when you really become a reader, an author, a teacher, you always have more books than you read, because... At some point, your books become your library. And when they become your library, that's an entirely different category of being. It's not just my books that I store here or there, but it is my collection of knowledge that I have access to. So I am a reader of many books, a writer so far of 19 books. Lord willing, another one will come out in 2024 called Beyond the Wager, The Christian Brilliance of Blaise Pascal. That is an update of my 2003 book on Pascal that was published by Wadsworth. The update, which has four new chapters, is by InterVarsity Press. Let me go through some of these authors and some of their books, and I do this for your edification and encouragement. I hope you will take time, set aside time, to read and study and meditate, of course, on the Book of Books, the Holy Bible, Sacred Scripture. But as Vernon Grounds used to say, Christians should be master of one book and readers of many others. Let's start with the American pastor and writer A.W. Tozer. I'm thinking of two of his books, The Knowledge of the Holy and the Pursuit of God, although I've read others. A.W. Tozer, we would put in the category of a devotional writer. He was a no-nonsense, intense, cut-to-the-chase writer who took the holiness of God extremely seriously. And the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, is about the attributes of God. It is not as deep, really, as another book I'll mention by J.A. Packer, Knowing God not quite as academic or theologically robust, but still a challenging and worthwhile book. The Pursuit of God is about serving God, loving God, giving God our all. I highly recommend that book, and really Tozer's other books as well. Tozer was also a social critic in his day, and he said that he preached his way off of many platforms— around the country when he would challenge the world, challenge the church rather for being worldly and good for him. The second writer I want to mention is really my favorite philosopher. And that, of course, is Blaise Pascal. And I should do a whole program or several programs on Pascal since I wrote my doctoral dissertation on his work. And I published a book called On Pascal that I mentioned as being revised. And coming out with another title. But the book I'm mentioning is called Pensees, that is French for thoughts. It is in many different editions. I prefer to use the Penguin edition that was edited by Albin Krellshamer. But if you'd like a collection of his writings from Pensees and other sources, look at the volume edited by James Houston called The Mind on Fire. Well, where do I start with Pascal? He was a brilliant philosopher, scientist, theologian, and an incomparable student of human nature and the deeply human need for redemption. He's well known for many statements, usually misunderstood. But one of them is, the heart has reasons that reason knows nothing of. We know this in many ways playing on the word knowledge there, giving it several different senses. Pascal was not a theist. He was not an irrationalist. He didn't say we know God only through feelings or through mystical intuition. But he emphasized that there is a way of knowing by what he called the heart, which is more like rational intuition. He also gave room to reasoning and evidence and so on. But I had been reading, rereading, quoting from, Writing about Blaise Pascal more than any other philosopher, merely human philosopher, I take Jesus to be a philosopher as well, and I think I have probably written more about him and certainly cited his words more often. Third writer I want to talk about is Carl F.H. Henry who was known as the Dean of Evangelical Theologians in the later part of the 20th century. He passed away, I believe, in the early 2000s. I dedicated my book, Truth Decay, which is about postmodernism, to him and to Francis Schaeffer, who we'll talk about in a moment. I'm mentioning here Henry's magnum opus called God, Revelation, and Authority, six volumes. It is very heavy, dense, and extremely worthwhile. I read the first four volumes in the summer of 1981. I was working in campus ministry, and really, that's what I did for the summer. The first four volumes had come out. Five and six had not yet come out. And I took a class from Dr. Henry at New College, Berkeley that summer of 81 on modern theology. The textbook was the first four volumes of God, Revelation, and Authority. Uh, Dr. Henry was a philosopher, had a PhD in that discipline. He was a theologian, had a PhD in that discipline. He was a voluminous writer, a deeply godly man, and one of the most significant Christian intellectuals of the 20th century, and an extremely important evangelical thinker. He was At the founding of Christianity Today, back sometime in the 50s, when it was a very different magazine than what it is now, it started out being much more academic and intellectual. And Dr. Henry's work is just magisterial. I don't agree with him on everything. He was a presuppositionalist in apologetics, and I am a cumulative case advocate, but I don't want to quibble. About that, because when you read God, Revelation, and Authority, and I did go on to read most of volumes five and six later, you really get a course on the history of modern theology and apologetics and all the pertinent issues of the nature of scripture, the nature of God, the relationship of Christianity to science and society. Everything is there. So I highly recommend that. And you can get this on Kindle now also which I've done recently, so it's easier to search on Kindle. This is one of the great benefits of Kindle. I still like hard copy books, but Kindle allows you to search for anything in whatever Kindle book you have. If you don't have Kindle, you have to rely on your memory or paging around in a book or the index. But with Kindle, you specify what you want to search for. So the possibilities are really Unlimited for that. And that comes in hand. So, God, Revelation, and Authority. I think I'll also mention his autobiography, Confessions of a Theologian. Fourth is a writer we all know, C.S. Lewis. Now, I'm thinking here of so many of his books, but I was in a bookstore shortly after I became a Christian in 1976, and a man came up to me, started talking, and I said I was a new Christian. He said, well, you have to read this book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he wrote something in the front of the book. His name was Wink. He wrote that in the book, Wink Something. Of course, Mere Christianity is a classic. It was originally a series of radio broadcasts, or part of it was, done during World War II to rally the British people about the things that mattered most. Uh, Book one is a well-known moral argument for the existence of God. It needs to be refined and developed a bit, but it really holds up well. Then he goes into Christian doctrines, Christian behavior. I've taught this book now in various settings for probably 30 years. Second, I'll mention a book that is more difficult, that many people can't get through or are bested by. I'm not really sure why, but it's called The Abolition of Man, which is a defense of objective moral value. It was given as lectures. It is more academic. There are a lot of obscure terms and references to it or in it, but you can look those up. In fact, online you can find glossaries for the obscure references in the abolition of man, such as the Baconian theory. Well, what's the Baconian theory? Lewis doesn't tell us, but it's the theory that Francis Bacon was the one who wrote the works of Shakespeare. It also refers to bimetallism. Well, what's that? It's that you would include two medals in the coinage of a country. There's even a Greek word in Greek in the book, of which I don't remember. But I think the abolition of man is one of the great defenses of objective moral value in the 20th century. I've used it at Denver Seminary. I've used it at Metro State University here in Denver. Highly recommend this book. It's short. It is challenging, but is worth the effort. Another book by Lewis that I've taught from for many years is Miracles, where he defends the reality of the supernatural. He also has a marvelous chapter against pantheism called Christianity and Religion, and then a collection of writings, God in the Dock, and of course the famous Screwtape Letters, where he... Takes on the persona of a senior demon writing to a junior demon on how to tempt a new convert. And that's really a classic of devotional writing uh, from a very different kind of angle. So you basically reverse what screw tape says and you get moral insight on living the Christian life. All right, we've done. A.W. Tozer, Blaise Pascal, Carl Henry, C.S. Lewis. Francis Schaeffer has been a tremendous influence on me. I read The God Who Was There in the fall of 1976 as a new convert. I'd gone to Eugene, Oregon, spent my first year in college in Greeley, Colorado, and was starting my first year of school as a Christian. And as I said earlier, I sputtered around quite a bit as a young Christian, not knowing how to think or how to engage the life of the mind as a Christian. And I read The God Who Is There. And the book was really a a revelation to me about the deep pertinence of the Christian worldview to all of life, to philosophy, history, art, everything. And that people without Christ, whether they're philosophers, artists, musicians— are really in a kind of despair because they do not understand the world or themselves aright. And that is what the Bible gives us, is a true and rational and pertinent worldview. I've read The God Who Is There, who knows how many times, maybe 10, 12 times. I've listened to it four or five times. As I often say, it's not the best book I ever read, but it is the most significant book in my Christian ministry that I have ever read outside of the Bible because you see not only Schaeffer's great intellect in critiquing non-Christian worldviews and their cultural expressions, but you also see his heart for the lost. And I have tried to maintain that over the years. I want to be a knowledgeable, sharp, and compassionate philosopher and apologist. God helping me. Other books by Schaeffer... Uh, The Very Small but Powerful, He Is There and He Is Not Silent, which argues that God exists and he has spoken in nature and history. That book uses a verificationist model of apologetics, although Schaeffer never mentions that per se. And then you have Schaeffer's summary or Schaeffer's survey of the decline of Western culture called How Should We Then Live, which I've read many times as well. That's a very swashbuckling kind of book. When Schaeffer did intellectual history, he would often move quickly, sometimes make mistakes. But he saw the big picture, and he usually saw it pretty clearly and knew the word that the church needed to hear. Now, Francis Schaeffer died a long time ago 1984. He was only 72, but his books continue to speak to me and to many others. There's also his book, True Spirituality, which is on the theology and practice of the spiritual life. That would be the one book I'd recommend on that topic if I could only recommend one. And why only recommend it to one? Why limit it to one? Sometimes people say to me, if you could only recommend one book, what would it be? And I say, well, read more. I recommend six. But True Spirituality, I think, is the deepest, richest, most clear, most biblical account of the Christian life with respect to the holiness of God, the sinfulness of sin, justification, sanctification, glorification, and so on. And then uh, lastly, although Schaefer wrote many more books, his book co-authored with C. Everett Koop called Whatever Happened to the Human Race, which was his critique of abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia. It came out in 1979. That was the book that made me pro-life, and I've been ardently pro-life, anti-abortion, Ever since, Schaefer and Coop realized that if we don't have a high view of humanity from conception onward, we will treat people as things and not as people with irreducible rights. And that has sadly happened. I recently did a podcast and wrote an article about what's happening in Canada with the euthanasia program there, which they call Made Medical Assistance in Dying. 30,000 people have been put to death through euthanasia in Canada. And unless we have a major national repentance and revival, I imagine that will come to the United States as well, given our secularism and collective loss of our minds on so many issues. So, should do a whole show on Schaefer as well. Let's go to another one of my favorite authors, the inimitable G.K. Chesterton, the great British playwright, philosopher, apologist, Humorist, uh, his two books, Orthodoxy and Everlasting Man. Orthodoxy is a short book where Chesterton was challenged to not only critique other views, but say what, in fact, he believed. And you have to read that book, period. Chesterton is able to refute entire philosophies in one sentence and have you laughing at the refutation. He critiques pragmatism, atheism, pantheism, you name it. And it's not playing for an effect. This is a man who was brilliant and also a comedic genius at the same time. Then another book of his called Everlasting Man. I'd recommend that. Had a significant influence on the conversion of C.S. Lewis. All right. The seventh author is an academic. You may not have heard of him. His name is Harold Netlin. He's a professor at Trinity International University. And I've used Dr. Netlin's books now for 30 years at Denver Seminary in my class called Religious Pluralism. The first book of his I wrote was called Dissonant Voices. There's also Encountering Religious Pluralism and more recently, Christianity and Religious Diversity. Dr. Netlin is a first-class philosopher A clear writer. He documents everything very carefully. And his subject has been the claims of Christian uniqueness and finality in a world of other religions. So this is called The Problem of Religious Pluralism. I address this in one chapter of my book, Christian Apologetics. Look at the second edition of that. Dr. Netlin has also recently written a book that I reviewed for an academic journal, it hasn't come out yet, called Religious. Experience and the Knowledge of God, another uh, superb book. The eighth writer we'll talk about is someone you may not have heard of if you're significantly younger than I am, and that is a writer named Harry Blamires, B-L-A-M-I-R-E-S. He was tutored by C.S. Lewis, was a British academic, and he wrote a book in the 1960s called The Christian Mind. And when I was coming up in Christian ministry, doing apologetics and evangelism on campus and teaching classes on worldview, everybody read The Christian Mind by Harry Myers because he lamented that there wasn't enough of a Christian mind and that the Christian should think in a particular way about various topics. I think the chapter that influenced me the most in that book was The Christian's concept of truth. And that was one of the motivations for me to write my book, Truth Decay. So, Harry Blaymars was an excellent writer. He wrote many other books, but The Christian Mind is probably his most well-known book. The ninth writer I'll mention is probably known to most people, and that's J.I. Packer, a recently deceased theologian who wrote many books was an Evangelical Anglican, uh, such as I Am, an Evangelical Anglican. And I'm thinking here of two of his books, Knowing God, which is a larger book that goes through the attributes of God in a very rich and devotionally challenging way, and then a much smaller book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Jab Packer was deeply Reformed in his thinking, and he taught the doctrine of predestination, which I believe the Bible does as well. That's something John Calvin made up. But one of the arguments against predestination, you often hear, is that this takes away the energy from evangelism, because if God has predestined only a certain number of people to be saved, then why bother to try to evangelize everyone? Well, this little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, answers that, essentially by saying that we trust God for the results of our evangelism. God will draw his people, his elect, to himself. But God has ordained the church to bring the message to the world as broadly as possible. So, I know I'm not going to convince everyone out there to have a Reformed view of salvation or soteriology, but if you'd like to consider that objection that I just mentioned, and if you really want to reflect on Scripture deeply about evangelism and the character And Sovereignty of God, I highly recommend that book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, along with really a great modern classic called Knowing God. Uh, J.I. Packer and I have at least two things in common. His favorite book in the Bible was Ecclesiastes, and he has a marvelous chapter on Ecclesiastes in Knowing God. And uh, Dr. Packer was also an aficionado of jazz. So, And we're both evangelical Anglicans. I think that's probably where the comparison stopped. Now, by the way, C.S. Lewis is known as a brilliant writer, as is G.K. Chesterton. J.I. Packer was a superb writer, not only an excellent thinker, theologian, professor, but a very profound writer of English prose. For example, Francis Schaeffer, for all of his brilliance and prophetic insight, and evangelistic zeal and success was not the best writer. In fact, several of his books were taken from lectures and were reshaped into books. Nevertheless, I have learned so much from Francis Schaeffer and he was an excellent teacher. He's not a bad writer. But when you're talking about C.S. Lewis, also Blaise Pascal, and Jay Packard, they are superb writers. The last person I'll mention here Today, we've got more to go for the next podcast. Is my friend J.P. Moreland, a prolific author, philosopher, really one of our best living philosophers. I'll just mention two of his many books. The first is called Scaling the Secular City, which is a rigorous apologetics book, came out in 1987. J.P. is an analytic philosopher, which means he carefully defines his terms, he lays out his arguments. And he works at a high level of abstraction, but for the cause of defending and commending the Christian message. In fact, in that book, Scaling the Secular City, his chapter on Christianity and the philosophy of science was really a groundbreaking in a lot of ways, and I think influenced the intelligent design movement. certainly influenced me. But he also gives the design argument for God's existence, the cosmological argument. He defends the reliability of the New Testament. The book is not a complete apologetic. There are areas that he does not speak to very much, like the problem of evil. But for what's there, it is a tremendously good book. I use it for many years at Denver Seminary. The other book I'll mention by J.P. is Love Your God With All Your Mind. And this book develops a Christian theology of the mind and how to apply it to social and philosophical matters. Now, I mentioned earlier Harry Blamires' book, The Christian Mind. That's really a classic. But uh, JP's book, Love Your God With All Your Mind, is much more philosophically rigorous, pays more attention to apologetics, and it has a very strong mission focus as well. I could talk so much more about all these authors and all these books but we're right about at the half-hour mark. So, in the next podcast, the next Truth Tribe, We'll talk about James Sire, John Calvin, John Stott, Ken Myers, Neil Postman, Oz Guinness, R.J. Rushdoony, my late wife, Rebecca Merrill, Grotheis, Richard John Newhouse, St. Augustine, Thomas and Walter Martin. So that program may take seven hours. We'll see how it happens. So thank you for listening to Truth Tribe. This is Doug Grotheis. If you'd like to know more about my ministry, how I might serve you, please go to DouglasGrotheis.com. And please tell your friends about this podcast if you enjoy it. Thank you.